I'm going to begin reading with verse 14. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, the what kind of person? The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely humans? We've been walking through this journey in 1 Corinthians together, and basically we're learning, everybody say, real life. This is what life is like in church. We have to we have to get over the idea that church is a bunch of perfect people who gather together with their perfect little lives and we live our perfect little spiritual life before God and everybody is all perfect and we all, you know, smile at each other's perfection. That as we go through the book of 1 Corinthians, we begin to realize that church is not a group of perfect people. It's a bunch of people that God has saved by grace and we're growing together in God. Look at the person next to you and say, God's still working on me. Say it again. Now, we've done a very detailed study of chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2. We've learned who Paul was and who Paul was in their life because there is a difference. Who Paul was and who Paul was in their life was something that needed to be emphasized. Paul was not a stranger in their life. He was their spiritual father. We've learned the truth of who they were in Christ, and we've learned four huge words that are going to resonate all throughout 1st and 2nd Corinthians, four great challenges of their culture that flowed from both a Roman source and from a Greek source and had somehow come together in this collage of culture in Corinth, and meritocracy, and Paul had to teach them that you're not saved because you merited it, we're saved by grace, and the concept of patronage and how it destroyed their, their understandings of biblical leadership, their concept of wisdom and, and how wisdom Paul had to just rearrange in their mind, and the concepts of reciprocity, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, and Paul had to teach them that these are principles of your culture, but these are not principles of our heavenly culture. We then began to focus on two great thoughts, two great ministry truths. One, that Paul allowed his human weakness to be seen so that God could be glorified. Paul never put on the illusion of perfection as he walked among them. He never had a cordon and sanitaire so that the people could not get close. He allowed people to see his humanity. He allowed people to see that we have this beautiful gift of the gospel in a, in a vessel of clay. Everybody say, a vessel of clay. Not, not a fine porcelain pot, but a vessel of clay. So he, he allowed them to recognize his own humanity so that God would be glorified. And secondly, he, he said, listen, I'm never going to try to use an impressive presentation with you. I just want to teach you truth. We then began to focus on Sophia or wisdom. 1 Corinthians 2, 6, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. But not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. So Paul begins to introduce to us the subject that audience determines content. Everybody say audience determines content. That the spiritual development of a congregation determines what food spiritually they are going to be capable of receiving. And we began to talk a little bit about a path of spiritual growth. We'll work more on that in the next few weeks. We then focused on some simple thoughts that all wisdom or all ministry must flow from wisdom. We learned that the false source of ministry's wisdom is this world and the true source of ministry's wisdom is God. We learned that all, all preaching must flow from wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. That it's not simply learning a series of facts, it's application. It's how do I live this? Everybody say how do I live this? And that how do I live this does not flow from the world. And this how do I live this does not, does not flow from the wisdom of this age. This how do I live this must flow from heaven. 
So God says, these are the facts now. This is how heaven says that you live these facts. And then we began to understand what does it take to understand the wisdom of God? We said that the wisdom of God cannot just be learned intellectually. It requires revelation. And that man has a hard time understanding the wisdom of God because man lives in, in the five senses. Men live by empirical knowledge that we'll get into today. But instead, the Holy Spirit wants to reveal these things to our heart. That the Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God. We receive the Holy Spirit so that we might understand. And then God gives us teachers or instructors or pastors who are taught words by the Spirit to allow us to understand spiritual truth. Now I want to pick up from all of that today and go back to this concept of spiritual immaturity and spiritual growth. Because Paul begins to develop this subject now through the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. And all I want to lay out to you today, and we'll get into this in more in detail in the next few weeks, is that there are three types of people. Now if I can put the chart up, these three types of people are the natural man, the sukios. Everybody say, sukios. This is an unsaved person. This is just the normal guy walking down the street. The next is the sarkikos, which is the carnal man. This is a born-again Christian who lives like the world. Everybody say, a carnal Christian. Say it again. He's born again, but he lives like he's not born again. And then when we see spiritual growth really developing, and really everybody starts as a natural man, and then when we get born again, we, we're kind of carnal. But as we continue to grow, we turn into a pneumaticos or a spiritual person. This is a person that is born again and living like Christ. Everybody say, born again and living like Christ. Now, if we can leave that chart up there for a minute, I again want to emphasize that this is the journey that everybody in this room must take. There are decisions that we have to make in life where Either we are going to continue to live like a natural man, even though we're born again. We're, we're a Christian, but we're carnal. Everybody say, carnal Christian. Say it again. A sarkikos or a fleshly Christian. A Christian who is born again, but lives by the flesh. Or are we going to continue to allow God to grow us? Are we going to continue to open our hearts to God and to the change of the Holy Spirit in our life and continue to grow until we grow into a spiritual man? Everybody say, a spiritual man. Now, all I want to do today is define these terms for you. We'll get into this more in detail in the next few weeks. The first is the natural man. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural, the psychikos person, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now notice, he is not able because they are spiritually discerned. And also notice, he does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. This is not just an intellectual dismissal. This is an intellectual rejection. Everybody say, intellectual rejection. When they hear spiritual truth, they do not just dismiss it, they reject it. Everybody say, reject it. Now, the reason a natural man rejects spiritual truth is because they live, as we taught you a few weeks ago, by their five senses. They live by sight, hearing, touch, smell, and taste. Now, you often hear in your classrooms in the university that you must gather empirical data. You must gather what? Empirical data is simply science. Empirical evidence simply means that something can be analyzed quantitatively and qualitatively and documented. But I'm sorry. Not everything in this world can be analyzed empirically. You cannot quantify and qualify and analyze an angel. How do you empirically prove an angel? Well, you know, there was an angel. And every year when we go to the empty tomb, I, I like to look at the tomb and sit there and think, you know, the sovereignty of God. The angel rolled away the stone and sat on it. 
The angel wasn't intimidated by the guards and their weapons. He just rolled away the stone and sat on it. Now, how do you prove scientifically the existence of an angel? How do you prove scientifically the proof of the human spirit? How do you prove scientifically that God did a miracle? Well, that was just the body's natural regeneration process. We can, we can analyze that and quantify that. And the T-cells, you know, the T-cells were mobilized. And then the T-cells, as they were mobilized, the T-cells killed that cancer. So we can see an uptick in the T-cell account. So we will say that the T-cells killed this tumor. Because that's what they can understand with their senses. See, science, and, and young people, please, it, it, God is not against science. God is just bigger than science. Let me say that again. God is not against science. God's just bigger than science. Science to God is like addition and subtraction. I mean, God looks at science and says, oh, that's really wonderful, but you know, there's, there's an even higher reality. How do you prove heaven in science? How do you prove hell in science? How do you prove that there's a devil in science? You, you, you cannot. Now, now, young people, the Bible is very clear. By faith, we understand that God created the worlds. Everybody say, by faith. So when people say, can you prove creationism? Well, there's a lot of good scientists out there that, that have taken a good shot at it. But you know what I answer people? Can you prove evolution? To me, it takes a lot more faith to believe in evolution than it takes to believe in creation. I mean, the randomness of an amoeba becoming a monkey, becoming a human. I mean, that, the, 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 the logic, the, the, the statistical odds of that, but that there is one great God who created all this world in, in perfect order, that to me is very logical. But can I prove that with empirical data? No. It's something I accept by faith. Now, when you and I begin to talk about when you return to God, his tithe, he opens the windows of heaven and pours out blessings until there's no more room to contain. Quantitatively, you can't prove that God did something that brought blessing to your life. You know it because you see the fruit of it. But how do you prove that to an unsaved person? How, how do you prove that God answers prayer to an unsaved person? See, they're not going to accept. The, the natural mind is looking for empirical data that can be quantitatively and qualitatively defined and documented. But that's that person over there. Now, when you get born again and you become the temple of God and the Holy Spirit lives in you and the Holy Spirit begins to reveal a different wisdom to you, a spiritual wisdom, a what kind of a wisdom? Say it again all of a sudden you begin to realize that there are facts outside of the facts of science. There is a fact. There is a God in heaven. There is a heaven. There are angels. There are demons. There are mansions prepared for us in heaven. There is a series of facts that far supersede the limited, finite, senses of a man. Now the carnal man, unfortunately this is where a lot of people park and they never grow into a spiritual man. Everybody say, they never grow. Say it again. A carnal Christian, a Sarkikos Christian, literally suffers what I call arrested spiritual development. They are adult babies. Everybody say, adult babies. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Since he is a what? Since he is a what? So a carnal Christian is a spiritual baby. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual, as pneumaticos, 
but as sarkikos, but as people of flesh, as carnal people, as infants in Christ. So a sarkikos or a carnal Christian is an infant in Christ. Everybody say, a baby. Say it again. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. Brothers. Now again, he's talking to the same church. Brothers. They're born again. Do not be children, infants in your thinking, but be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. Now, a carnal Christian, put the chart back up, a Sarkikos Christian is a Christian who got born again and they became a baby in Christ Jesus. Everybody say, we all start, we need to nothing, we all start as a baby. I mean, the Apostle Peter is very clear, we all start as a spiritual baby. But as they grew older, they did not grow up. Now, can you imagine with me, when you have a little baby, and the Bucamantes just had their baby this week. Now, they got that little baby, and that little baby is cute and wonderful, and that little baby wants its milk, and that little baby does its little poo, and everybody just smiles and loves and goes, how sweet and adorable. But the baby is three days old. Now, can you imagine if Jesus tarries, and that baby is 30 years old, and that mother still, and that baby still goes to mama, mama, I want some milk, I want to suck on your breast, you'd go, and if that baby was still wearing diapers because they never got potty trained, mama, change my diaper, you're 33 years old, can you imagine the mess? Now, we would look at a 33-year-old baby and go, what happened? Is the child a special child? No. What happened? They just never wanted to grow up. They what? They what? They never wanted to be potty trained. They never wanted to learn to eat solid food. They never wanted to learn how to chew. They never wanted to learn how to get dressed. They never wanted to grow up. Sometimes I call these Christians Peter Pan Christians, living in Never Never Land, eternally spiritual babies. Never wanting to take responsibility, never wanting to take responsibility for their own growth and development. Never wanting to grow. Everybody say, never wanting to grow. Now, you and I would look at somebody like that in the natural, and we'd go, somebody just needs to kick their butt. Where's his father? Why didn't his father just kick his butt? Why didn't his father make him learn to eat proper food and not live on mama's breast? Why did Father tolerate that? Why did, did Father not force him to learn to be potty trained and use a toilet? Why did Father not force him to mature? Because you cannot force a person to change. Did you hear what I just said? Did you hear what I just said? People have to want to grow. People have to want to change. Now, think with me in the natural for a few minutes. Do you remember as a kid? I can remember Shasha. She was so crazy. We still laugh to this day. What was Shasha's favorite little statement? Do it self. That was yours growing up. Do it self. Shasha always wanted to do it herself. I can do it. I said, no, you can't. Yes, I can I always wanted to do it herself. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Do you remember growing up? You wanted to do it? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Everybody said, I wanted to do it myself. You wanted to give yourself a bath. 
It's like a switch turned one day and you realize, I'm old enough to do this myself. You, wanted to, you didn't want mommy and daddy to play choo-choo with you anymore. Open wide, choo-choo-choo-choo-choo. You wanted to feed yourself. You wanted to learn to drive a car. You wanted to choose your own clothes. You wanted to eat what you wanted to eat. You wanted Jollibee because you saw the advertisement. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's something natural in a person that you want to grow up. You what? But there are some people that don't. In the same way in the, in the, in the spirit realm, there are Christians. For the most part, we want to grow up. We want to begin to take responsibility. We want to mature and develop in our spiritual lives. There's a desire in us to grow because that's who we are. But there's some Christians that are very happy to be 33 years old, sucking on their mama's breast and wearing their diapers and going goo goo ga ga. And you look at them and you go, I don't get it. Now, how can you recognize a Christian who has refused to grow? Well, their lifestyle. Their what? Look at verse 3 of chapter 3. For you are still of the flesh, you are still sarkikos. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? Are you not carnal? And behaving only in a human way. So Paul said, listen, I'm making a judgment on you. I'm, I'm evaluating your spiritual growth and development. And I evaluate your spiritual growth and development based on your lifestyle. Based on your what? Based on your what? Now, what is the lifestyle of a carnal Christian? Well, we'll get back to our text here in just a minute. But look at Ephesians 4, verse 13 and 14. Until we all reach unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature and to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we grow up, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the human cunningness and crafting craftiness in deceitful scheming. So Paul said, first thing, a carnal Christian is unstable in doctrine and leadership. Everybody say, unstable in doctrine and leadership. Every new fad that blows through town, they're carried away by it. The leadership fad, they're carried away by it. The grace fad, they're carried away by it. The faith fad, they're carried away by it. Spiritual warfare fad, carried away by it. Prophecy fad, carried away by it. Revival fad, carried away by it. G12 fad, carried away by it. Every fad that blows through town, they're carried away by it. Now notice, it's not that they are influenced by it and grow and develop because God is doing something beautiful and fresh. They're carried away by it. They're what? I, I didn't hear you. It, during the revival days, it, it always amazed me because there was so much beauty and wonder and, and the, the river of God, the river of the Holy Spirit flowing among us. And then people got carried away by weirdness. And you started having people soaking and running through fire tunnels and dyeing their hair blue because they were deep in the river. And you just want to look at people and go, I'm not going to loco, Everybody said carried away. They, they, they're just carried away by everything. Everything that comes along, they're carried away to the extreme. They don't allow fresh truth to come into their life and, and cause them to grow. They're, they're, everybody say, carried away by it. It's like they're totally knocked off their foundations, and all they can see is this one thing, and they're totally controlled by this one doctrine. They're, they're totally unstable. But also, they're carried away by human cunning and the craftiness in deceitful schemes. There, there's no stability of leadership. They fall for every manipulative false preacher around. Every preacher that sips, sips them and, and, and tells them sweet stories and manipulate, they, they fall for it. 
Baby Christians, carnal Christians, are unstable in doctrine and unstable in leadership. Thirdly, carnal Christians are incapable of spiritual growth. Now, in order to grow, you need food. You need what? You need what? If you take a child and don't feed them properly, do they grow properly? I mean, please, go down to Aroma and see the difference. When we first started feeding those kids in Aroma, there were kids that were, there were, kids that were like six inches shorter of what they should have been for their age because they'd never had proper nutrition. Their brains were not developed well and their ability to reason and think and go to school because, again, they'd never had proper nutrition. And when we started feeding these kids, all of a sudden they're growing and their arms are growing and their muscles are growing. They had proper nutrition. They had what? Now, we understand that from the natural. Listen to how Paul puts it. Verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 3, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. And he said, even now you're not ready. He said, you're still sarkikos. He said, even now you're not yet ready for solid food. When Shasha was a baby, first she gets her milk. And then we got, after about three months, we got to mix milk and little cereal together. But what Sister Bev didn't know is that, you know, I took care of her on Saturday night because in those days we didn't have a Saturday night service and she had choir practice. And on Saturday night, Shasha and I would always have treats. And I would try to feed her mandarin oranges. And she'd go, two, right back at me. Okay, mandarin orange didn't work. Let's try some chocolate ice cream. At first, she spit it out. So I let it melt just a little bit. Now, she had to learn to eat solid food. She had to what? I used to take a little sushi and stick it in her hand. She would take that little piece of sushi and she'd just gnaw on it. Just gnaw on it. Get all the rock. Just gnaw on it. Little pigtails and rice all over her face. She had to learn to eat solid food. Had to do what? Everybody says solid food. Now, a sarkikos, a carnal Christian, you can't preach to them solid food. All you can do is milk. Everybody say, only milk. I, I didn't hear you. I, I didn't hear you. When you, you walk into a church of sarkikos Christians, when you walk into a church of carnal Christians, adult babies, you have to take whatever you're teaching and put it in a blender and liquefy it and make it like milk for them to be able to get anything. They can't handle solid food. Paul, Jesus says it this way. Mark 4, verse 33, with many such parables, he spoke the word of God to them as they were able to to hear it as they were able to hear. John 16, verse 12, Jesus said, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He said, you, you can't hear this now. You, 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 can't, you, you won't receive this now. Hebrews 5, beginning with verse 11, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. Now, why was it hard for Paul to explain to them spiritual truth? Since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Now remember, milk was for the Sarkikos Christian. Either a baby or an adult baby, but milk is for the carnal. Milk is for the who? I didn't hear you. So you, you have to understand that a person who is living a fleshly, carnal Christian life, who's refusing to grow, you, you can't feed them something that will help them grow. They're only capable of receiving the milk of the Word. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 2, coming back to our text, Paul says, listen, you Sarkikos Christians, I fed you milk, 
not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready. Everybody say, not ready. Say it again. They have to grow to a point to take solid food. They have to, to make decisions of spiritual growth and taking responsibility and learning that, you know, you can't just have, you know, one little spiritual thought that comes from Facebook and, and call that church in, a, in, a, in, a, in an 11-minute sermon because that's all they can take. They have to say, Pastor, we, we, we want you to feed us. You know, I had a friend, and his, his church members came to him and said, we want services to be 55 minutes, and we want the sermon to be 11 minutes. And so he did what they wanted. And he said, you know, Pastor, he said the church became worse and worse. He said, finally, some people came to me and said, Pastor, would you start a Sunday night service for those of us that want to grow? And he said, gladly. And he began to take them and unfold the Word of God to them. And these people began to grow. And before long, the Sunday morning service was back to a two-hour service where they really wanted the Word of God. Because they realized, you have to make a decision to grow. You have to what? All right. The fourth characteristic of a sarkikos or carnal Christian, the works of the flesh. The works of the what? The works of the what? Now, Galatians 5, beginning with verse 19. Let me read them to you in the NLT because it's a little simpler words. Galatians 5, beginning with verse 19, New Living Translation. For when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. ESV says the works of the flesh, the works of the Sarkikos Christian. They're very clear. Sexual immorality. When you find Christians living in sexual immorality, you are not dealing with a pneumaticos Christian. You are dealing with a sarkikos Christian. Impurity. What? Lustful pleasures. Again, the concept is on the idea of sex. Everybody say sex. I didn't hear you. Massage parlors. Putting your hands where they don't belong. All this is sarkikos. All this is what? Idolatry. Sorcery. What? Yeah, reading the horoscope. Sorcery. Reading your feng sui, which is more like chop sui. Being all concerned. What, what, what am I? Doesn't matter what you are. You're a son of God, as we taught last night. You are not a rat. You are not a chicken. You are not a pig. Everybody say, I'm a son of God. But there are Christians that pay tremendous attention to all of this sorcery. Hostility. You, you live in open fights with everybody. Quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. Ooh, clubbing. That's not pneumaticos. That's Sarkikos. That's carnal Christians. Wild parties. <clears throat> Thank you for your enthusiasm. That's not pneumaticos. That's not spiritual Christian. That's Sarkikos. That's baby. That's an adult baby. And other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. The fifth way you recognize them is look at their churches. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 3 and 4. For are you still not of the flesh? Are you still not sarkikos? For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul and another Apollos, are you not being merely human? It's all right. You, you want to recognize a church of sarkikos carnal Christians. It is a church full of division. It is a church full of what? Full of, full of what? Full of division. Full of division caused by jealousy. Full of division caused by quarreling. And full of divisions because the people are acting like the world. As he says there in verse 3, behaving only in a human way. 
Now, there are many churches today that are organized for this. They are structured for this. They are what? They are what? Halingbawa. I was talking with the pastor, and he said, you know, Pastor Summerall, your church is structured wrong. I said, why is our church structured wrong? He said, well, you're the pastor, so if somebody gets mad at you, they just leave. I said, well, or they can get their heart right, and let's work it out and talk it out. He said, you know, in our church, we structure it for people's bad attitudes. I said, how do you structure a church for bad attitudes? He said, we have no pastor. We have a group of pastors. And different pastors preach different services. And so whenever somebody gets mad at a pastor, they just transfer to another pastor. And I said, and don't the pastors compete for, for the crowd and compete to get people to come to their service? He said, oh, yeah, that's a problem. But he said, it, it, it keeps everybody coming. I said, you mean it keeps the offerings coming, but it doesn't keep spiritual maturity coming. Thank you for your enthusiasm. So when you, when you see a church that is structured to, to allow conflict and to allow jealousy and divisions and quarreling, when you see a church that's structured like that, you, you need to realize, wait a minute, this is, this is Corinth. This is Sarkikos. This is not Pneumatikos. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? All right, now let's look at the third one. Put the chart back up. We've talked about Sukikos, the natural man. We've talked about carnal man, Sarkikos. Now we want to talk about Pneumatikos. This is a growing Christian. This is what? This is not a perfect person, but this is a growing Christian. This is a what kind of a Christian? Now, let me just walk you through a few of the characteristics for sake of time. We'll get more into this in detail next week. A spiritual person judges all things. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 15. The spiritual person judges, appraises, or evaluates, is the Greek word. Judges, appraises, or evaluates all things. But he himself is judged, appraised, evaluated by no one. Now, a spiritual person has learned how to look around and judge their environment. Everybody say evaluation. If I use the word judge, you might misuse it. So let's say evaluate. Everybody say evaluate. You're like the church in Revelation that has learned how to evaluate false preachers and have shown them to be false in Revelation 2, verse 12. You've learned how to evaluate doctrines and, you know, you, you, you look at teaching and you, you do teaching like eating fish. When we were just in Israel and taking Brother John and Sister Pat around, Brother John wanted the St. Peter's fish experience. So we took him to this restaurant and got him a St. Peter's fish. Now, a St. Peter's fish is nothing but a big fat tilapia. How many of you have ever eaten tilapia in your life? Brother John is an expert. If you looked at his plate afterwards, he did everything but suck the bones. He loves to eat the tail. He orders it extra crunchy. He loves to eat the fins. He loves, I mean, he takes the head and he's chewing on the head. He eats fish just like we do because he grew up in Aruba. Now, Anybody who eats fish understands, eat the meat, leave the bones. Everybody say, eat the meat, leave the bones. You look at that and you evaluate, this is good, this is not good, this is good, this is not good, this is good. And you leave the bone and you eat the Now, a spiritual person evaluates sermons, evaluates theology evaluates a revival move of God, evaluates a fresh move of the Spirit, evaluates the environment that they're in. They're not critical. I didn't, let me say that very clearly. They're not critical. They're not condemning, but they do evaluate. They do what? They do what? They do what? They, they do what? Halingbawa. Have you ever sat down in a restaurant and eaten Cebu lechon? Now, would you prefer Manila lechon or Cebu lechon? 
Now, I don't know what they do down there that cooks it different, but when you taste it, you know the difference. I'm full of food illustrations. Am I hungry or something today? We didn't have any pork while we were in Israel, all right? I'm so happy to have bacon for breakfast again. But how many of you can tell the difference by taste of Cebu lechon versus Manila lechon? Put your hand up high. You can tell the difference. You have evaluated. You what? You're not being critical. You're not being nasty. You just, you know the difference. You know what? You know what? You get some ice cream. You know the difference. You know that there's buko pandan, and then there's talagang buko pandan. You know that there's lechen kawali, and then there's mm, lechen kawali. You know that there's lechen kawali dipped in curry curry sauce. And you know there's lechen koali dipped in something. Not quite sure what. There's a slight peanut flavor, but not much. Now, we, we do this every day. You're not critical. You're not mean. If you paid for it, you eat it because you paid for it. I didn't hear you. But you do evaluate the difference. Now, a spiritual person, when they are sitting in leadership, when they are sitting in a service listening to a sermon, they're like the Bereans. They search the scriptures to see if these things be so. That, that's not being untrusting of the pastor. That's being pneumaticos. That's being an evaluator. You go back and you search the scriptures to see if these things be so. Where's the Bible? Where's the what? You don't just believe everything you hear. You don't just swallow everything people try to feed you. You are an evaluator. You're what? Now again, you're not critical. You're not putting anybody down. You don't have a critical spirit. But you do evaluate. You do what? You do what? You do what? It's like when we were in Israel with the tour. There's this one guy, he comes and sells us these uh, coins with little necklaces and stuff. And, you know, he, he says some of the most outlandish things in the universe. And some of the members said, Pastor, what did you think about that? I said, listen, pay no attention to his theology. Take the discount. Did you hear what I just said? I said, forget, forget what he says. Take the discount. Sometimes the guides say something, and you look at the guide, and you go, grave talaga, what rock fell on your head? You know, you're not critical, but you know, that, that's not true. That's not what the Bible says. You're not mean about it. You just evaluate it and go, this is meat. These are bones. I eat the meat. I leave the bones. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Eat that come on. This is what a pneumaticos Christian does. A pneumaticos Christian is appraised by no man. Verse 15 but is himself judged by no one. Now, in the context, this means he's not judged by a natural man. You, you don't, if you are a pneumaticos, if you are a spiritual person, you do not allow your lifestyle to be evaluated by an unsaved person. I'm sorry, an unsaved person is not going to understand prayer is not going to understand sowing a seed. Is not going to understand returning to God his tithe. Is not going to understand why you love to stand with your hands lifted and worship God. They look at you like, I'm no koi, grave talaga, na na loko. They look at you like, we're crazy. You know, sometimes when we're in Israel and we're on the boat and we're out there dancing and shouting and singing Waymaker, other boats come by and they look at you like, And you just kind of smile at him and go, you just don't get it, do you? But I'm not going to change worship because they don't understand me. Did you hear what I just said? I'm not going to stop raising my hands because they don't understand me. I'm not going to stop dancing before the Lord because they don't understand me. I'm not going to stop praying because they think it's a waste of time. 
a spiritual person does not allow his spiritual life to be evaluated by the natural world. You recognize these are things of the spirit. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? Thirdly, a spiritual person can receive correction and instruction. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37. Paul said, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or pneumaticos, spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are the command of the Lord. And if anyone does not recognize this, he's not recognized. Now, Paul had a problem with the church in Corinth. Remember, they are not pneumaticos, spiritual. They are sarkikos, carnal. Everybody say, they're carnal. They're what? But because they operated in the gifts of the Spirit, they thought that made them pneumaticos. Well, operating in the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge or tongues or interpretation or prophecy, that does not make you pneumaticos. That just means the Holy Spirit chose to use you in one of the gifts of the Spirit. So Paul said, you know, you, you folks there in Corinth, you, you think that you're something big because the Holy Spirit uses you. But you don't understand. If, if you were truly pneumaticos, if you were truly spiritual, you would recognize that what I'm saying to you is the Lord's command. You would accept correction. You would what? You would what? You would what? Now, a spiritual person can accept correction because a spiritual, a pneumaticos person wants to grow. They want to what? They want to what? When you and I were babies, and we were learning how to tie our shoe. Sometimes we made a mess and we made a knot. And our parents had to teach us, no, that's not how you tie your shoe. Let me show you again how to tie your shoe. Everybody say, show me again. There are things that as we grow in life, we fail. There are things that as we grow in life, we make mistakes. Welcome to growing. I didn't hear you. There's no perfect people out there except Jesus. We will grow. We will fail. We will make mistakes. We will fall down. We will get up again. But a pneumaticos, a spiritual person, is willing to learn. They're willing to accept correction. They're willing to accept what? The next one. A spiritual person restores his brother. Galatians 6, beginning with verse 1. Brothers, if any of you is caught in a transgression, you who are pneumaticos, you who are spiritual, not you who are sarkikos, not you who are carnal, you who are pneumaticos, you who are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I want you to notice, a person who is spiritual comes alongside and gently restores a fallen brother. Everybody say, gently restores. Now, the Greek word here for slip up, the sin that is referred to here, is literally a slip up. It's literally a what? It's not some premeditated, long-term lifestyle. It's literally like you're walking across a room and you just landed on your butt. How many of you have ever just slipped and fallen? Would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? It's a little embarrassing, Deba. Most of the time, the only thing you hurt is your dignity. I do that a lot. But spiritually, when you slip up, you just didn't see that coming. And sometimes as a Christian, you, you slip up and you, you've done a sin and... You, you're sitting there just like you just fell on the ground and knocked the wind out of yourself. You, you have no idea how this happened. It, it wasn't premeditated. It wasn't planned. You just, everybody said, slipped up. What were the words? Now, Paul said, a pneumaticos person, a pneumaticos Christian, a spiritual Christian, will see that slip up and they will gently come alongside and restore you. Everybody say, gently, gently, come alongside and restore. 
watching out for themselves because if it's slippery there, lest you too be tempted, is what Paul says. Have you ever tried to walk on ice? How many of you have ever been someplace where it was snowing? Did you raise your hand? Have you ever walked on ice? Have you ever watched somebody try to help somebody else stand up who's on ice? They fell down on the ice and then they try to help them. If they're not careful and they don't do it gently, what happens to the person trying to help them up? They're flat down there too. And before long, you'll have three or four. And the problem is, they're not doing it gently. If they would stand there on the ice and slowly help the person up, being very careful, everybody would be able to get up and get off the slippery spot. But if they just come rushing over there and grab them, they're both going to be on their butt. How many of you understand the illustration? Look it up online. People falling, helping others on ice. You'll find Google pictures of it, I'm sure. I've never looked it up, but I'm sure. Because it's one of the great comedy acts. Now that's like a Sarkikos Christian. A Sarkikos Christian will come over and just try to jerk somebody up acting all superior, and they're going to fall too. But a spiritual person, they come along and gently restore. What was the word? Shout the word, please. But notice they do another thing also. Keep watch over yourself lest you be to be tempted, verse 1. Now look back at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens so that you may fulfill the law of Christ. So the spiritual person also bears another person's burdens. Now, the Greek word here for burden is a load too heavy to carry. A what? A, a what? A what? A what? Come here for a minute. Hmm. Hmm. Brother Chan. I would like you to pick up Brother Chan on your shoulder. Yeah. Bottom fireman carry. No, no, fireman carry. Come on. You can do it. Oh. So the load is too heavy to carry. You can't pick him up. Okay. Come here. Now, a spiritual man will come and he will help you carry the load. Thank you. <laughs> Give him a hand, everybody. You all right? <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Do you get the illustration? There are loads in life that will crush you. Now, some of you are young and you've never been through the pressure of life when it gets so heavy you don't think you're going to survive. How many of you have been through loads too heavy to carry? Would you raise your hand up high? Put your hand up high. What does it do to your spiritual life? You don't even know how to pray anymore. When you see a, a, a nematicos Christian, a spiritual Christian, when they see their brother struggling under a load too heavy to carry by themselves. They don't sit back and go, bucket will lung, where's your faith? The God is coming out too easy tonight. Everybody say, where's your faith? Look at the person and say, why do you have no faith? That's what a Sarkikos Christian would say. A pneumaticos Christian doesn't come along and say, where's your faith? A pneumaticos Christian, a spiritual Christian comes by and goes, you know what? 
I can appraise this. I can evaluate this. That load is too heavy for them to carry. I'm going to help them. And they get under and they carry the load together. And a brother's life or a sister's life is not destroyed. This is being a spiritual Christian. Now I'm going to stop there today. Did you learn something? I want you to stand with me, please. Now, as you can see, these words, natural, carnal, psuchikos, sarkikos, pneumaticos, is a repetitive theme in First and Second Corinthians because it is a problem. And it's a problem in the church today. You have to grow because you make a decision to grow. Everybody say, I want to grow. Say it again. You have to decide. I don't want to live like a baby Christian. I don't want to live like a little baby sucking at my mama's breath and wearing diapers. I want to grow. Everybody say, I want to grow. Say it again. Say it louder. You have to make it a desire. Say, all right, pastor, tell me the first thing I need to do to grow. You sing it in children's church. Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Hello. And you'll grow, grow. I better be quiet. Sister, Sister Babs is going to lose her hair listening to my singing. Do you want to grow? Step one. What's step one? What's step one? How many of you want to grow? What are you going to do before you go to bed at night? All the kids love this. All the young people love this. We learned it in kids' church. I, I don't understand people who say they want to grow in the things of God and they don't even read a Bible. You go to their house and their Bible, they can't even find it. Or if they find it, they find it under 15 other magazines. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Join your hands together. Do you want to grow? There are many Christians, they're very willing to live a sarkikos life, a carnal life. And they want it that way. They, don't, they, they want to live fleshly. They want to live in drunkenness and wild parties and sexual immorality. They want to live like that. But the way to get out of all that is to grow. Is to what? Now, did you hear what I just said? The way to get out of that whole ugly lifestyle is to grow. Is to what? Grow. Everybody say grow. grow. The, the way out of that whole childish lifestyle is to grow. That's not hard. Just grow up in Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you. You know my life. You know my heart. Lord, I want to grow. I don't want to struggle with this stuff. I don't want to live with this stuff. I want to grow. I want to grow and become more like Jesus. You predestined me to be conformed to the image of Christ. I want to be like Jesus. Help me grow in Jesus' name. And everybody said...
Look at the person next to you and say, I'm going to be a pneumaticos Christian. I'm not going to be sarkikos. I'm not going to be carnal. I'm going to be spiritual. All right, campus pastors, would you come?